and welcome to Minute 37 of the Great Escape Minute, the daily podcast where we pound out the details of the Great Escape one minute at a time. I'm Tom. And I'm Rob. And joining us again today from Rocketeer Minute and Apollo, the Apollo 13 Minute is Jim O'Kane. How are you doing today, Jim? Doing good, doing good. Still uh, fascinated by this film. Um, <laughs> It's, uh, I, you, have, you haven't gotten bored of it since yesterday? No, no, no. It's really, I'm just getting deeper and deeper into it. I just realized they're in some kind of a prison camp. That's amazing. I just, <laughs> you just thought they were in the library. I was, I, I mean, I thought they were going to do a bank job here. It felt like a, you know, proper caper film. They should be going after something, but I didn't realize that they're just trying to go after a bunch of dirt underground and getting rid of it. Um, Wait till later in the week when he finds out it's a German prison camp. Oh my gosh. Spoilers. Uh, <laughs> Wow. Uh, I don't know if you'd like to go over the uh, the, the minute itself. is. Uh, yes. So minute 37 starts with Roger saying a system of stooges covering this camp from front to back. And it ends with Colin going, oh, hello, my name, uh, dot, dot, dot. So we will find out his name tomorrow, even though we're already told it in this minute. So. We get to finish up the rest of this meeting where Roger is assigning positions and, you know, explaining the layout for what he wants this group to steer ahead. And his, I find it interesting, him talking about the system of stooges covering the camp front to back. But he mentions he wants to know if anyone, if any German gets within 50 feet of one of the tunnels, which... I mean, on one hand, the camp doesn't seem that big from what we've seen of it. And so I imagine there's going to be Germans within 50 feet of the tunnels on a fairly regular basis. I don't know if you guys had any thoughts about that. Yeah, I think 50, 50 feet is a little, little, little extreme. There isn't 50 feet between each of the different uh, barracks. So I... I... <laughs> I think that's just a script error by saying 50 feet. Just Because if they would have said five feet, you'd think, okay, they didn't have enough time to, to deal with everything. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's, I think it's just for the purposes of, of the script, just because, I mean, what they're going to be relying on is the Germans' um, rote uh, schedule that they're, you know, every – Every three and a half minutes, some guard is going to go around the perimeter of the you know the fence line, and then somebody will walk up one way and down another. And they probably they probably all have schedules. They know when the they know when the shifts changed. So I would think they would they would bet more on that and just try to figure out where the um, where the anomalies are. Right. right. I mean, the, again, the book goes into far more detail here as to uh, how they actually do this. I mean, one of one of Roger's uh, comments here is checking out every goon in and out. And they basically had prisoners who were fluent in German to befriend a lot of the guards, you know, invite them into their, invite them into their rooms, you know, to, to drink with them or smoke with them or whatever, just to, to become friendly with them, to, to get to know them, uh, both for their, to understand their routines and also to use them later on in order to, to scrounge things, uh, basically to blackmail them. Or, yeah. or even, uh, not even just from a blackmail perspective, they, they might have just be able to convince them to give them some, get them something, you know, something that didn't seem as if it was, you know, something that they were going to use to, to tunnel out and stuff like that. So, yeah, the, the book goes into far more detail about that. And, I mean, they, they, they 
the the book describes also uh, the different hideaways that they they built in every one of the <laughs> the barracks in order to hide things. You know, they had like false walls uh, that they that they were able to build, <laughs> and the Germans never knew about it. And it's it's just it it it's hilarious to think about. You know, that they you'd walk into a room and. And no one ever thinks of the dimensions of the room, especially, you know, these German guards. They, they'd walk into the room and, and not notice that they're missing a few centimeters or, or even a foot in order that they would literally build, uh, you know, a, a plaster wall, a plaster wall over that so that no one would even know. So as long as you don't drastically alter the room, you can pro- I mean, I could tell you even in my house, if I walked in and my bedroom wall was six inches you know, shorter, you know, or six inches more towards my bed, I probably wouldn't notice. So, I mean, it makes sense that the German guards are just poking their heads and making sure things are in relatively decent order wouldn't notice. Yeah, that's definitely true. Now, in, in the uh, in the original script, what they talk about in this scene is also interesting that there's actually a, an argument with Roger as to why he's doing three tunnels all at once and that he shouldn't be, they shouldn't be wasting their time doing three at once. They should only do one. Uh, you know, he, he describes it that, you know, once, once we're so organized, we might as well do more than one at the same time. Uh, we have the manpower, you know, to do it. Basically uh, it's, it, it's Cedric who, who who's very much against it, and Ashley Pitt also. One of, one of his comments is, "Is but where the hell are we going to hide all the dirt? It's going to be about thirty tons." So in the movie, you know, the the response is pretty easily, "Okay, we'll just put it in the regular places." But here, he's he's a little hesitant to actually agree. And then Bartlett actually says to him that that it's not thirty; it's forty. That's to get her forty tons of dirt. That that's just that's just crazy. That's a that's three quarters of a hopper like a railroad hopper car. Yeah, um, that's just amazing by hand. There's no, I mean, it's not like wheelbarrows are going to be readily available to cart it around. Um, well, and you've just, got. Uh, oh, go ahead. You, oh no, no, I'm I'm just thinking, you know, like, and just these guys would could make a fortune if they were around today for you know making their own HGTV show of how to <laughs> how to do all this stuff. We. Um, I mean, you were saying earlier about how you don't notice when things are missing in a in a in a room. Uh, we just redid our our den. We're, we're trying to knock the '70s out of our house, and you know it's like all the Harvest Gold, everything, and Harvest Gold rugs and and things. So we have in our den we had a wallpaper that was made out of bamboo, shredded bamboo. It was kind of like a a mesh. It looked like it looked like someone had had taped a hula skirt to the wall. <laughs> And I've tr- I tried for the longest time to use like wallpaper remover and all kinds of goo and things to remove. It wouldn't come off. It would just be it, w- it would it would just kind of melt itself into the the drywall behind it. So uh, finally figured out the best way to do things is make it all uh, just flatten it out with a uh, with quarter inch drywall. They, they make they make drywall that's incredibly thin. You can buy a quarter inch drywall. Put it up with drywall nails, uh, taped it and spackled it, and you'd never know that the room is now, you know, with a qu- quarter inch on each side. It's, it's a half an inch narrower in both dimensions, but you know, you walk in, you don't notice the difference. It's just, gee, what a nice smooth wall behind it. And then you you add a quarter inch to all the screws that hold the electrical outlet covers on, and uh, 
you know, all of a sudden you, you don't notice that you didn't have to take down uh, the wallpaper. The, the wall is behind the wall, but, you know, it, it didn't matter uh, to make the room just a teeniest bit smaller. So what are you trying to hide from your family in that uh, quarter inch uh, space, oh, Jim? Just trying, just trying to hide. The, <laughs> just trying to hide the, the, the agony of the seventies. It's, uh, <laughs> oh, gosh, I, 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 I would take a, I would have taken a picture of it, but I just wanted to forget all about it. That's how bad, <laughs> that's how bad it looked. Um, but now it's a nice, nice plain HGTV worthy house, or at least that one is. Uh, um, I, I, I do, I do want to say I don't, don't want to, don't want to change the subject too much, but uh, this is my last minute with James Donald, the uh, the CBO there, and he's. Uh, I, I keep wondering if he was typecast because this is the third um, madness, madness. Yeah. He, He's just, he was in King Rat, he was in Bridge on the River Kwai, and now he's like, you know, it's just, he can't escape uh, World War II. At least he's in the, he's in the uh, ETO instead of uh, the Pacific Theater. Um, but uh, I, does he have that face that says prisoner of war? I, I, I could never figure out why. I mean, he's just, he. Uh, <laughs> what was it, what was his ranking, King Rat? Uh, you know, because because he was um, he was the doctor, you know, in yeah. in Kwai, and here he's the SBO. So yeah. uh, the question is, was he going getting a higher rank? You know, was was he re- being raised in rank uh, after every time he was captured? I thought he was a captain. I may, I may be wrong. I think he was a okay. captain. Could be. Could so be. He's, he's in there. He just he's definitely a man for all services. Uh, <laughs> just, um, but he just he's good at the sidelong glance. When he's trying to figure people out, he doesn't—he doesn't have any uh, big, big lines in this. But he just—he does lots. Sturges loves doing reaction shots. If you watch uh, movies like Marooned, he—he he films. He does so much coverage where all you're seeing are people looking back at people. And I think it's mostly just to fix up sync or something like that, or just you know covering a bad take. But he has so many shots where people are giving a speech and then you just see people reacting to whatever somebody else is saying. And I think it's just a, just the lineup shots that came out a little too short or went a little too long. It just, um, and this, this particular minute is full of that stuff. I mean, there's so many Coburn just staring and, and, uh, McCallum and Garner just staring and, uh, it's it's a style it's a style that Sturgis has that you don't think of him as having a style, but that is it. It's just keep throwing in reactions and uh, and the movie will keep going. It, it it does make it a little bit more dynamic, even though no, the camera barely moves. I mean it it, uh, it it pans, but it never never really uh, never never. There's no there's no um, handheld nature to this. It's very sitting sitting in a studio watching people talk. Right, but I think it also shows that everyone is very attentive to, to what uh, Big X is saying. True, I you know, agree. They're, they're, because they're, as as I mentioned in the, in the original script, they argue with him, but here no one argues. You know, even yeah. even last week we talked about when he told Griff that he needs to make uh, two hundred and fifty uh, suits. He like looks at him for a second and says, "Okay." <laughs> <laughs> if well, that's what Roger wants, that's what Roger gets. You know. It almost looks like the enormity of the task before them is settling in on them, too. Because, like, if you look at Henley's response, he just, like, his eyes get big and he kind of gets this grimace of, this is going to be a lot of work for me. And you just see everyone else's, you know, because up until now, they've all been listening to Roger give his rah-rah speech and getting excited about the idea of all of them getting out of camp and we've got a purpose now and it just goes to 
as he stops talking, it dawns on everyone. Oh, we're digging three tunnels with and getting 250 people out of here with all of the work that goes along with that task. Yeah, but I think they're all up to it because they they don't want to be bored. Oh, I'm <laughs> sitting in a camp doing nothing. <laughs> oh no, I think they're up to it, but it's the you know, it's like when I first saw how many minutes this movie was on an Excel spreadsheet. You know, I was excited for it. And it's not that I stopped being excited, but it's a, oh, wow, there's actually a lot of minutes in this movie moment. I, I think I think I think we can say that the the, the guys who, who dug the tunnels had a little more work than, than we're having doing this. No, but a little bit, a little bit, a little, a little bit. bit. Yeah, uh, I, I'm trying to figure out Mac is kind of the. I want to say the the avuncular character in this is like well, well you know we'll get there he he seems he seems to be the one that well you know you all have your jobs and we'll, we'll we'll get back to you and tell you what what you're doing he just he's he's a little bit less heartless looking than uh, than Big X I think I, I just I, I keep trying to figure out why he's why he's parked there you know I mean even though he's he's head of intelligence. He doesn't need to be on the front line. He's no more different than, you know, what the other guys are doing. But he seems to be more in a command position there, but acting like we, you know, we trust in you guys and doing their thing. Right. Yeah, we, we discussed this during, during I think, the, the, the first week of the, of the show, or maybe it was the second week, when uh, Ramsey shows up uh, and gets out of, you know, he, he, he has a VIP uh, trip into the, in, into the camp. He's in a car as opposed to everyone else who's in the trucks. And McDonald is with him. So then we had a whole discussion as to whether maybe he's his his his, his right hand man, but based on his rank, yeah. Uh, so he's not his direct. Uh, he's not. I think he, we decided he wasn't the XO, but the possibility right, he's the, the aide de camp. Yeah. Right. So so he seems to be filling that role here also for for Big X. Maybe he's the aide de camp of Big of of the X organization because basically, you know, Big X gives his whole speech and then he looks at Mac and says. Did I forget anything? <laughs> Nothing else, right? Yeah. Um, um, I, I do want to point out a Sturgis, um, not a cliche, but something that he regularly does. When you when Sturgis ends, and I know you're going to probably be watching for this in the future episodes, when he ends a scene, he does a combination fade-out dissolve. And that's uh, when, when, we, when we finish this, this scene – You'll notice that there's a dissolve where we go back to uh, uh, Colin and Henley's uh, barracks, or uh, their little the little room. Um, the scene is fading out as it dissolves. It's not just a simple dissolve. There's a, the, the the scene starts going dark, and that's just a thing that Sturgis does on a lot of his opticals. Um, uh, I've noticed it in a couple of his other movies that that he kind of when he has this little not an act break but a scene break the way he separates them in your head that he, he's kind of teaching his language is that he fades out as he's dissolving. So you'll watch the scene go dark as they go into something else. Um, and, but it, and, and the, the interesting thing about that is, especially here, you see it, that the scene starts going dark, but then it, then the next scene starts before it completely goes dark. Yeah. So, so there's a point, there's a point where you, where you can look at a frame and see both scenes at the same time. Right, exactly, exactly. But yeah. but he is dark. You know, he is darkening, which is a typical. That's either an act break or a scene break. But he's but he, it, it's just something that Sturgis does. It is like let's run this through, and 
back in the day when this was a mechanical thing that you couldn't just do it by running a slider in After Effects or something. <laughs> this that was kind of an expensive um, that, that was an that was an expensive optical effect to drop in on a reel. And so he he really he he spent extra bucks on just doing that simple optical because it was wow. it, you have to do a couple of things at once you have to change the iris on the a on the a roll and then on the b roll or, or print it twice uh, fade it out on the a roll and then do a dissolve into the b roll but he's doing both at the same time here so that's a little pricey back in the day um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess I guess they save money by going with deluxe instead of uh, Technicolor or Kodak. <laughs> uh, um, so we get into uh, we get into the right. so then we go into their to, to their room. It looks like Colin got to the camp late, so I don't actually have any basis for it. But when Henley walks in, he seems confused by whose stuff is in here. You know, it looks like he probably left for that meeting, having the room to himself. He comes back is going, okay, whose stuff is laying about here? And we know Colin got to the meeting late, so he must have dropped off his stuff sometime after Henley left. Yeah. So to call, and we haven't seen him in the movie before. I mean, unless he's hiding somewhere in the background and we missed him, he must have gotten another, you know, VIP show up to the camp late or a truck broke down with a bunch of prisoners and that truck just missed the convoy and got there late. That's an interesting idea. I don't know. We, we obviously have no basis for the fact that someone else besides Roger came, came at a different point, but, but that is possible. I, I don't know why they would have, you know, kept him separately. See Roger, they had a reason to. Right. I have no idea why they would have. Did. Right, I mean, we discussed the the the, the issue beforehand of, of how did they choose who who gets which bed and and which room and stuff like that because you know like here you have a room just for two, uh, where the main room has twelve, you know, so like who who is entitled to to be in a in a room with just one other person and who's entitled who who's not, <laughs> you know, that type of thing. But that, Henley Henley being a scrounger, he needs places to keep stuff, so that might be his storeroom where he's thinking of, you know, moving moving stuff. Um, so they might have thought he'd get a private room, and while you're doing forgery work that requires quiet and, uh, and, and a place to stash stuff, they would make sense to have the two of them together, I would think. Um, yeah, that's true. There, now, but Henley didn't know this beforehand. No. <laughs> well, well, or, you know, Henley laid claim to a room, and everyone went, oh, we don't want to share a room with an American. Yeah. Yeah, uh, well, that's possible too. <laughs> Henley may also have been one of the oldest or, or one of the longest serving POWs too, because if he's if he's still wearing RAF clothes, he's an American in RAF. That means he's part of the uh, uh, Amer- the the Eagle Squadron. So he would have been he would have been there like as early as 1940, 41. Um, so he's been in a POW camp for a long time because by the time this is this is like 1942, 1943. 43, I believe. 43, yeah. yeah. By then, by then, it had been a long time since Americans were serving in the RAF. They had all been moved over to uh, the 8th Air Force, and uh, they would all be wearing, uh, well, the, the stuff that Steve McQueen's wearing. They'd be all, they'd be all U.S. Army Air Corps. Wait, they, um, they, all, they all got uh, James Dean-type clothes? 
Yeah, pretty much. They had leather jackets, and um, yeah, they, they'd all be over there. I mean, he's this uh, leather jackets, jeans, and you know, and 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 yeah. a, 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 a gray T-shirt. sweater. Yeah, and and, a, and a, uh, don't forget the baseball mitt. So um, it's yeah, but um, you know, it, I mean, the backstory that you have to consider with Henley is that he he uh, volunteered to go. You know, he was a he was a pilot, an American pilot who volunteered with the uh, the American exp- uh, the American forces that had joined uh, what the RAF called the uh, the Eagle Squadron, and uh, they became part of the RAF. He'd fly either Spitfires or Hurricanes, and uh, you know, do he probably got captured uh, off the English Channel on, on raids like over Lille or uh, the Netherlands. And uh, at the time, there were only there were sixteen that had been captured that were American uh, American forces. A lot of them died. A lot of them were shot down, um, but uh, he would have been there for several years now. So he he's been in a lot of prison camps and has experienced a lot of things, which has probably also helped his ability to scrounge. Um, I I would wonder what he thought of things going on in the war. That if you know if he uh, if he had just got you know if if he if he weren't there, he'd be probably commanding a a, a squadron of his own. Uh, in the U.S. Army Air Corps, when right? I mean, he he's only a his, he's a flight lieutenant. He's only an OF two. Right. Yeah, yeah. And he, and as an officer, he he was there was a unlike in the U.S. Army Air Corps, he didn't need a college degree. So he you know he didn't have a degree, but he was an officer, and uh, he you know he he just did it's things things turned out pretty badly for him that he's he's been a prisoner for probably about two years now. And uh, he knows he knows the ins and outs, which is why I think he knows how to scrounge. And seeing a tea strainer, I think he, he's like, oh, okay, it's another Brit. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, we, we we we've discussed in the past about uh, you know what type of things the, these characters were able to, to to bring with them or they had with them. I mean, taking into consideration that that most of these these Air Force pilots or most of, they, they they probably jumped out of a plane. Yeah, um, but most of them still have their hats, and most of them have have uh, large luggage. You know? Yeah, and and some of them even have their names, you know, stenciled on 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 their bags. I mean, that that that's what you can see here on Collins Collins' uh, suitcase. I mean, it, yeah. it's clearly a, a pretty big suitcase. You think? I mean, uh, compared to Henley, who has nothing, uh, but here he's, he's got a suitcase that that has a name stenciled on it. So you know, Henley goes over and checks to see who's. Whose uh, whose briefcase this is, and you know he'll see this is it says Colin Blythe, you know, or whatever, you know, it says his uh, social security, uh, his uh, serial number, and all that stuff, and and also you know he has all the the whole tea set, you know he has yeah. the, the the little suitcase for the tea set, <laughs> so <laughs> Colin, eight, there we go, now we know why Colin was late, he had to you know, schlep all this stuff uh, all across the camp, yeah, he, he was the last one off the. Yeah. He was, the one, he was the last one off the truck because he had so much to carry. Well, and I was going to get into this, you know, my theory that Colin showed up late a little more tomorrow. But Colin has tea. We know earlier that Ramsey got the last bit of tea at the camp when he's sharing it with Roger. So either Ramsey was wrong or Colin showed up later with more tea. No, he didn't say it was the last uh, bit of tea in the camp. He said he was able to scrounge it from, from Sedgwick. I thought he said it's the last bit till the Red Cross comes through. 
No, it's that he has to wait for for new team to I get there. Think, from yeah, the I don't think it's. I don't think it's in the in this particular minute, but in a future minute, it's it's coming up that Collins used this T twenty times. So I don't think it's <laughs> yeah, the last. It's the last of the. There is no new T. There's only old T. There's only twenty times washed T. So. Um, it's yeah. If you want to have uh, basically tea scented water, <laughs> that's, that's what he's having. Yeah, and it looks like there's a, something. I guess it's, it, it's proof that something came from the Red Cross here. But it looks like he's got like a first aid kit or something on there. <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's a common sewing kit. You know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's amazing how much, you know, we were talking about this in a previous minute, but it's amazing how much light that single bulb with a with a lampshade over it still manages to light up the back walls. Um, <laughs> and the area above it. Yeah. Well, what about what about uh, Henley's shadow? His shadow yeah. is definitely not coming from the light, uh, the, the light fixture. But they just want to make us be able to see everything. They want us to yeah. be able to see all these small little details that we're looking at. That's true. Because if you didn't have a proper lighting, we wouldn't notice everything. I will give the Germans we'll, credit, though. We'll have even more stuff to talk about tomorrow with that. <laughs> <laughs> that light bulb does seem to have a pretty decent wattage, though. I would expect it to be a much dimmer bulb. Yeah, you see tan with that light bulb. It's just impressive. Yeah, Colin needs to put the sunscreen on his head. Well, wow. do either of you have anything else for this minute? No, I'm done. We covered it well, yes. Jim, you want to plug your other shows? Um... Yeah, while we're doing this, we're just finishing up the uh, Best Minutes podcast uh, where we're covering the 1946 William Wyler-directed film, The Best Years of Our Lives. If you do like World War II movies, uh, that's a great just-after-World War II movie about three uh, returning American veterans coming home to uh, the world that they helped to save, but it isn't the world they left behind. So uh, lots of great conversations on there with many movies by Minutes hosts covering uh, 10 minutes at a time. Uh, Check that out at our big site at thebestminutes.com or iTunes or wherever wherever you're finding uh, this particular show, you can probably find the Best Minutes uh, podcast. All right, and while you're looking at that one, make sure you subscribe to our show. Give us a five-star review on whatever podcatcher you use. If you want to get in touch with us, you can follow us on Twitter at GreatEscapeMXM. You can join our Facebook group, The Cooler. You can send us an email, thegreatminute at gmail.com, or you can just go ahead and check out our website, greatescapeminute.com. Until tomorrow, have a great day. Tally-ho. 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 Tally-ho.